This is Unspoken Secret, episode 24. So how do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, Levi Antoine, uh, originally from New York, Boston area. Okay, I think I knew that. Yeah, I came out to BYU in 97 for school. Oh, really? Yeah, and so... To me, BYU has changed a lot, but it also hasn't changed. But yeah, that's me. I'm just a family man. Uh, joined a church 17. Uh, crazy past. And now I'm a happy dad that lives in Provo, raising his, <laughs> raising his three kids. And, oh, wow. You know? How old are they? Uh, my son, Omar, is 10. Uh, Grace turned 8. She's still trying to decide when she wants to get baptized because she is very much, I don't know if I want to get baptized. <laughs> well, it's okay. your choice. Yeah. yeah, it's her It's her choice. That's great. Uh, Hattie is a strong-willed four-year-old. <laughs> and so, yeah. And my wife is from a small town in Wyoming called Shell, 50 people. And people oh, really? Yeah, people, how'd you guys meet? It's 50 like 50 people? 50 people. And she's related to most of them. <laughs> and no way. How did you meet her? Here, BYU. At BYU? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were given the same calling, and it worked out for us. Oh, wow. Yeah. So people always laugh when they, they're like, wait, so you're? I was like, my kids are cowboys and ghetto superstars because they love going to go visit the inner city in the hood because that's where my family is. And my wife's family's all ranchers, cowboys, like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, when you think of, and people say, oh, that's a cowboy. Like, that's not a cowboy. Like, I've seen. <laughs> you know. Yeah, like. You know. Cow- like, just because they wear a cowboy hat. And so, my son loves it. He's, he's getting to the age now where we're going to send him to go help Grandpa up on the ranch. And, yeah, he, he loves it. So, what was your childhood like? Who, mine? Uh, it was a, I hate saying a typical inner city childhood. But it it was, you know, get into fights. For me, I would never change how I grew up. I loved every minute of it. I loved fighting, you know. Uh, I, I was a kid that had a chip on his shoulder. I was the angry kid and, you know, I wanted to be the toughest kid in the neighborhood. And then I found the church, and they taught me there's more to life than just my neighborhood. And that there's more people that care about me than just my family or my boys. And that was my Heavenly Father. And, you know, it changed. It changed a lot about me when I. I'm, I don't know if Kylie said, but I'm sort of that guy. Like whenever I hear people talk about the church, it frustrates me because it's, it's like you don't know the type of monster I would be if it wasn't for the church. Like yeah. I would be, you know. Um, as some poli- politicians used to say, I would be that apex predator. I, w- I was that scary guy. And then I'm at the church, and like I said, now I live in Provo, Utah, and, you know, I'm second counselor in Sunday school presidency. I sing primary songs to my kids at night to help them go to sleep. And, and like, even while I was on my mission, my brother passed away from a drive-by. And... Uh, you know, it was, again, I had to make that choice. I could go back and be angry or, you know, it's all in God's hands. 
And that was another path where I had to choose. Because I remember I got off the plane, and this was before 9-11, so people, like, were there at the terminal as I'm getting off. And, you know, there were my friends on one side, and they were like, yo, we know who did it. We know where he's at. You know, one of my friends handed me a piece, like, boom, let's go do this. And it's like, okay. And then there's my mom and the bishop, and, you know, my mom thought it would be a good idea to bring, like, 15 missionaries that make me feel comfortable and it was like who am I am I the angry kid that everyone's afraid of on the news or am I a son of God and I'm a son of God so told my friends you know that's that's not what I do anymore went to my mom uh, buried my brother went back out into the mission field three days later to finish so Wow. It's, I mean, you know, I told my wife about my child. She loves hearing about it because, once again, she's from a town of 50 people. and It's probably very exciting. Yeah, and, you know, she, she understands, like, I now go to therapy. I now understand I have PTSD, so I go to therapy for that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it was funny because I never thought, you know, you could have PTSD if you didn't serve in war. I'm like, I didn't serve in war. And my therapist was like, have you ever been shot at? I was like, oh, multiple times. I've been stabbed. I've had bullet grit. He's like, that's kind of a battlefield you grew up in. So, but, you know, I love it. I, I told my kids about my past. Um, it's like, hey, Papa used to be a very, very mean person. But the church, I won't say the church, the gospel of Jesus Christ helped change that. So, but yeah, it's definitely something I'm not afraid of and like some people, oh, you shouldn't talk about your past. It's like I wouldn't be the Levi I am if I, it wasn't for my past, mm-hmm. you know. And that's why when Eric was like, "How comfortable you talk about race?" I'm like, "Very comfortable." I mean, it's it's there. I, when people, I don't know why people are so shy and you know, oh, I don't want to talk. It's like, no, it's it's there. And if you want to say it's not, then there's something wrong, you know, like. Because my wife, she'll admit, she's like, when we were first dating, I was like, she's like, I would hear some of your stories. I'm like, no, no. And then I think it was, <laughs> we were married for a week and we were living, <laughs> we went to go visit one of my friends at his condo and his wife and we parked and we got out, we held and we walked in. I think we watched a movie that night and then when we came back out, there was a note on my wife's car and it called her a traitor to her race She's a nigger lover, and she should be, you know, skinned, and and, and she oh lost it. Like, I've never seen my wife. She's like, what is this crap? And I was like, honey, this is racism. And she's like, I, I just want to find a person. I want to beat their face. And I'm like, you know, she's a cowgirl. She grew up with her, so she's pretty strong. And I'm like, honey, <laughs> honey, I was like, this is, it's out there. And this is her, like, that was her first time experiencing it. Mm-hmm. And it, it was hard. And I'm like, and that's how it always is. The first time you experience racism, it's a shock and it angers you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, so she was like, she went back to my friend's house. Who do you know whose handwriting this is? Because he was in a he was in a bishopric at the time. And I mean, he got called to the bishopric young, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, he said counselor. And he was like, oh, he's like, I feel like I may not. She's like, where is he? I want to go talk to her. And I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. It was just on our car. And, you know, honey, let's go home. Let's calm you down and let's talk about. And 
I remember she was angry, but I remember the hurt in her eyes because I don't think she's ever been attacked or, you know, she's never seen, all she's ever seen me is, is her husband, Levi, you know, and that's, she never saw me as, oh, I'm dating a big black guy. The only time it's ever come up is when <laughs> her brothers were like, that's a big black guy. And she was like, oh, yeah. Because, I mean, they're from oh, yeah. Wyoming. And, they're, and, they're, and I remember, you know, she had her fears. Like, oh, I hope my dad doesn't say something stupid or my brothers. And I was just like, the way I am with racism, if you purposefully try to offend me, I will be offended and we will have a conversation. Um, but if you're not purposely trying to offend me, I don't, like, uh, my best friend, he works at BYU too. Uh, he's a manager and, you know, we met each other freshman year. We've known each other. We're like brothers, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like we are as close to brothers as, you know, like pretty much our kids can never marry. Like we hang out a lot and it's like our kids can never marry each other. Everybody's like, oh, but it's so great. They're so close. I'm like, no. And they're like, well. You can't control them when they get. I was like, the answer is still <laughs> like, we <laughs> we are, and you know, he's this white he's this white kid from Sacramento. You know, his stepdad was black, and so right away we start getting along. And I remember we were in Sister Black Susan Easton Black's class, church history. It was after our mission, you know, because I'm I'm still a fresh convert. I joined the church, then I'm at BYU, and then like a year later I'm on a mission. And so I was like, I want to learn about church history. So we take this class, and she's sharing the story of Joseph Smith in prison with a bunch of the other brethren. And the jailers bring this meat, and they put in, like, here's your dinner. And they haven't eaten in days, and Joseph tells them not to eat it. Well, why not? And, you know, he's like, they hung a Negro, and that is the meat of a Negro man. You know, he received that revelation, and they were just like, oh. And I remember Sister Black's telling a story, and it's just dead silent in the entire auditorium. And my best friend leads over to me. He goes, I bet it would have tasted like chicken. And we both bust up laughing. <laughs> and, and poor Sister Sister Black, the look on her face and the look of the people around us, they were just like, oh, he's about to kill this white guy. But it's like, he's my best friend. We can joke like that. He He doesn't have a racist bone in his body, you know? And so we've built that relationship. I always tell people, when people start to see me as just, if someone can say, hey, I know Levi, and they can describe you without saying he's a big black guy, then they're my friends because they know who I am. They just don't see a big black guy. And, like, (laughs) we laugh so hard for the rest of that class. And whenever we tell people that story, everybody's like, oh, my goodness. And, and like, (laughs) the first time we, like, he was dating, like, his now wife. When we told her, she's like, oh, and she hit him. She goes, I can't believe you said that. He's like, what? And I'm like, it was hilarious. Like, because that was our relationship. We were both sarcastic and, you know, like our moms knew each other. And, you know, both our moms have passed now. But, you know, I was there for him when his mom passed. He was there for me when my mom passed. It's just we we are the, we are that close where I don't think he could ever say anything that's going to be like, oh, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I give him a hard time because because he was called into the bishopric so young, he has a lot of gray hair now, and he looks old. Even though I'm older than him, I'm like, you look old, man. He's like, he's like well, I've been, in the, I've been a bishop for so many years. I've been in the stake presidency, and he is, 
he is a guy who, if my kids say, I don't want to be like Papa, I want to be like Uncle Scott, then I would, <laughs> awesome. Like, Scott is, you know, he is an example of what it means to love everyone. And that's just, and so when, talk about race, it's like, yeah, I'm glad, because I have funny stories, I have sad stories, I, it, it's out there, um, you know, one of, I think it was my freshman year, and I was standing in line with one of my good friends, um, and he, he was like, man, you know, and when you're different than everyone else, you can tell when people are staring at you, you know, and I remember he was like, Levi, do you think if you turned around and waved, anyone would wave back? And I was like, no, what? And I was like, yes, yes, they would. And so we did this experiment in, you know, 1997 at BYU um, in the Morris Center up at DT, even though they've taken DT down now. Uh, I turned around and I just waved randomly. And at least six to eight people, they just leaned forward and waved back with these big smiles on their face because they were like, oh, yes, you know, and, 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 you know, we laughed and. One of them was cute, so we went and sat with her. Uh, <laughs> That's what you do. Exactly. And, you know, we, he and I, we laugh about it to this day. And, you know, it's like, he's like, did that embarrass you? And I'm like, no. It's like, I expect this to happen. My mom, my mom grew up in the South during when they were integrating schools. And she would tell me and my brother these crazy, crazy stories. But... She experienced racism a lot growing up in the South at that time. And, you know, she always raised us. You know, she goes, you need to understand your history. You know, I, I love doing family history. I've been able to trace my ancestors back to the slave owners. You know, I'm now working on getting the slave ships. I, I love doing that. She said, you should always understand your history, but you shouldn't let it cripple you. And when I was young... You know, I didn't know what that meant because I was that kid that if I saw any type of race, you know, during high school, I was I was living in Boston and Boston is a great city. I love Boston, but it is also a segregated city like there's South Boston. And if you're black, you don't go to South Boston. You don't go to Charlestown, you know. And so whenever I would see any racism, I was that guy that I would flare up and it was time to fight. I don't care. And, you know, now that I, after my mission, you know, well, after I got a little older, a little bit older, I understood what she meant by understand your history, but don't let it cripple you. Um, for the longest time, me flaring up at anyone that called me the N-word or, you know, anyone trying to be raised, it crippled me because then I became this monster. Uh, Boston had this program called Metco where they would bus inner city kids out to the really nice neighborhoods to go to school. And my mom was like, I'm not, we're not doing that. And I remember my dad being upset. He's like, why? It's a great opportunity. And my mom, she said, well, I remember being in the South and being bused to the nice white schools. And I remember the homecoming queen was always white. You know, captain of the football team, always white. You know, school president, always white. She goes, and it was frustrating because 
we wanted to do those things too, but we couldn't. Even though we, we could, no one voted for us. So if I send my kids to the medical program, guess what? The school president is most likely going to be white. The, you know, student body, you know, council body, white. Captain of the team, white. Homecoming, white. She's like, why not leave them in a school? And, you know, and it was like, I went to a school that didn't have the greatest reputation. You know, we lost our accreditation my senior year. But it was all black. And I loved it. And I ran for student body president. Well, vice president, but I lost because they asked if I would put, you know, homecoming and planning and things like that over football. And I said, no, I love football. (laughs) But, you know, it was. And so when I was coming out to BYU, when I decided to come out to BYU, I remember my mom talking to me. She said, son, (laughs) she's like, it's going to be, you know, less than one percent minorities out there. And she looked at me again and she said, do not let your past cripple your future. Okay, and so when I came out here, you know, there's the experience at the Wilk where I, at the Morris Center where I waved and random people waved back. Um, but that wasn't the only thing. And I realized I can be, I can come and I can be upset about it. Or how come, you know, oh, you know, it's, it's 1997. They've never, they don't have any black friends and, the truth is, no, they didn't. Like, some of them grew up in communities where there was not a single black person. So I started thinking to myself that I could do two things. I can be the angry black guy that's always angry because people are uncultured. Or I can be an ambassador. I can be, an av- I can be their first black friend and be like, hey, ask me any question. And I'll answer it. You know, I'm not going to get offended. You don't know. I mean, it would be like if we yelled at children for asking questions. You know, if they don't know something, they don't know something. Now, I'm not trying to say, you know, all my white friends with children. But when you're curious, you want to know the answer. And so when girls on campus come up and be like, can I feel your hair? Why am I going to get upset about that? First off, if it was a cute girl, yes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but <Part. laughs> exact, I'm like, I'm not going to get up like... Okay, sure, why not? Why not? Oh, well, I'm, I'm not a pet. No one's saying you're a pet. They're curious. Why, why not? You know, I have a lot of friends who I was their first black friend. And, you know, I will tell you right now, when I first met them, I was like, is this person racist? But now I was like, no, they're not. They were just curious. And so, you know, when I came here, I was like, I'm not going to be that guy. But, you know... There was also a time where, you know, there was an altercation at one of the freshman halls, and I was down there with a bunch of friends, and people were arguing and shouting, and BYU police show up, again in 1997, and the guy gets out, and he scans everyone, and he lands on me, and he goes, you, give me your ID. And I remember one of my friends like, whoa, whoa, we're just standing, like, why do you just ask for his ID? Don't worry about it. Give me your ID. And I'm sitting, I'm like, why do I need to give you my student ID? I need to make sure you go here. Like, I do. All these people are about for me. And they're like, yeah, he goes here. He's a student here. And he's like, I remember uh, he was like, he's like, you don't, 
you think all Provo cops are, all BYU cops are punks? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I, I was a cop in L.A. I know about the rolling 60s. And I was just like, first off, I'm from the East Coast, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Second off, do you assume I'm in a gang? And he's like, give me your ID. And so, you know, I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to give you my ID. I don't care. Gave him my ID. And a bunch of my friends were like, boy, then you have to take all of ours. You know, you're not just going to take his ID. And he's like, I just want his. And, you know, he records it. And he's like, if anything else happens between us, you're going to be the one in trouble for it. And I was sitting there like, what? <laughs> wait a minute. Like, whatever. Like, I've dealt with cops before. And some of them do have a chip on their shoulder. Um, but then again, I also believe that I have friends that are cops now and they are good guys, you know, but I also growing up in Boston, you get pulled over by a cop and they say, if you act up, we're going to take you down to the Harbor. And you're like, Oh no, I don't. Cause they just take you down to Boston Harbor, beat the crap out of you and leave you there. So it's like, yeah, I've dealt with those cops too. I've dealt with all sides and. You know, it's frustrating sometimes when I see bad cops on TV. Uh, my son has the utmost respect for cops, but he also knows that some cops are going to treat him different because he's 10, but he's a big kid. He's dark. And in the summer, he gets darker. And, you know, it, it frustrates my wife because she's like, we're going to have to teach our son how to handle cops different. You know, one of my friends, we were going, we were, I was giving him a ride somewhere. And I remember I took my wallet out and I put it in my glove box. I mean, in my um, visor above the steering wheel. And he's like, why do you put your wallet there? I was like, so that if a cop pulls me over, I don't have to be reaching for anything. It is my hands are up. Here's my ID. You can go in my glove box and get everything else. And, you know, he's like, oh, you, you don't, Levi. He's like, you're the greatest guy a cop will never think that. And I'm like, you don't know. Like, hmm. you know, like I, when I get in my car, I have to prepare. Okay, if a cop pulls me over, make sure everything is where it needs to be. Um, you know, I've had bad experiences with cops in Utah. I've had bad experiences with cops in Boston and New York and Florida. And it's just, I remember one cop told me, he was like, I'm not racist. He like, let's face it, you're a big guy. You're the biggest guy out here. So if anything, like, I'm going to approach you first because I don't want you to hurt me. And I was like, why would you assume I'm going to hurt you? Like, what about my demeanor besides my stature and the color of my skin says I'm going to hurt you? Well, you know, the big guys? And I'm like, there are a lot of big guys. Like, <laughs> like um, it's just, it, it, I have to prepare for things different than other people. Um, and sometimes my wife learns that the hard way. And sometimes, you know, I think it was, we were married for maybe a year. This is, this was after the incident where the guy left the note on her car. And so we, we've talked about it and we were driving up to visit her family. Her family was living in Idaho at the time, Idaho Falls area. And cop pulls us over. And, you know, I automatically know when a cop pulls me over, I'm going to put my hands where they can see him, and I am not going to move. I mean, that's just how my mom, like, don't move unless they ask you to. If you can help it, have them get it for you. And so I make sure my hands 
or on my lap. My palms are up, just so he can, just so he doesn't think that I'm covering something in my palms. My palms are up. He comes to the window on the passenger side. He knocks on it. My wife likes to drive fast. <laughs> He's like, hey, uh, so, you know, you know, we pulled you over. And my wife's like, oh, I was probably going a little fast. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, can I see your ID? And she goes, sure. And he's like, no, not yours. I want to see his ID. And I'm like, and my wife's like, he's, he's not driving. Ma'am, don't worry about it. I want to see his ID. And right away, I'm like, okay, you know. But I already know my wallet's up there. And I'm like, I'm going to go for my wallet, grab my wallet with two fingers. I still leave my left hand palms open. And, you know, I, I use one hand, get my ID out, hand it to him, put my wallet back, put my right hand down, palm still facing up, and I wait. And he's like, all right, I'll be back. And he leaves. And my wife's like, is he not going to ask my ID? I was like, no. He, we're in Idaho, and big black guy, he's probably making sure I don't have a warrant. And she's like, why would he assume you have a warrant? And I'm like, because I'm a big black guy in a car. <laughs> you know? He checks, comes back. All right, you're all clean. And then he sends us on our way. That's it. And that, like, my wife was doing well over 15 over the speed limit, but he pulled us over. He walked up as soon as he saw me. Let me see your ID. And parts of me get frustrated. But then parts of me is like, it's just, like, I've grown numb to it. I, I don't want to, well, I don't want to say I've grown numb to it because I still fight it. Like, there are times, like, I make sure my voice is heard. But then there are times where I don't want to make sure because it's like, oh, it's just another angry black guy. You're being an angry black guy. And it's like, well, I have a right to be angry. But because some people believe that white privilege isn't real, there's no such thing as racism. And it's like, no, there, there is. Like, you know, another time, I think we, this was our third year being married. She was finishing up school. I was walking to our home. I came from campus because I was taking a class and I was walking home and all of a sudden this Provo police cruiser pulls up behind me and I'm just like, here we go, you know? And, you know, he's not going past me. So finally I stop and I kind of look at him and I was like, can I help you? And he pulls up, he's like, you live in this neighborhood? Yes. Oh, which house? He's like, don't worry about it. Oh, no, you know, we just, we got to call some suspicious activity. I was like, great. Well, I live here. Unless you're going to arrest me for walking on the street, I'm going to continue to walk home. And he was like, okay. As I continued to walk home, and he just followed me. Until I got to my house, and then he drove off. And I was just like, <laughs> you know, I remember my wife, she, she looked up and she goes, why is there a cop following you? And I was like, well, someone said there was some suspicious activity in the neighborhood. And since I don't look like I belong in the neighborhood, cop followed me home. Um, now, I tell all these stories and, you know, I could be the angry black guy. But you know what? There are better ways to handle it. And that's, I love working with my students. I love, I'm not saying any, well, none of my students have a racist bone in their body. They're all good kids. But I love sharing experiences with them. And sharing experiences with, because people are like, why do you still live in Provo? Like, you graduated school. Why didn't you just, because the plan, my wife, she was like, I want to move to New York or Boston. She wanted to go back to the city. But it just, it didn't feel right. You know, we prayed about it. We 
went to the temple about it and it was like, this is where I belong. And it is because I get to work with young kids who maybe they've never had a black friend. I could be that first. Um, I get to work with black students who maybe they're frustrated and they're like, oh, you know, I had one student who was just like, Levi, I'm just tired of the questions. And I was like, I understand. I absolutely understand. The thing is, this is going to be life until, like, you know, until something drastic happens, which is not until, you know, the second coming. Like, this is this is life. And this is the, it's sad because this is life I'm preparing my kids for. Now, do I hope it change? Absolutely. Because I'll be the first. I, I love firearms. I, most of the podcast people have probably heard me on. I'm talking about how much I love guns. I, I have a concealed carry. And when the, when the thing happened with the brother who was shot by a cop, because he had a concealed carry, everyone's like, does that worry you? No. I'm not going to let it worry me. Because... You know, I'm not going to walk around in fear and always scared. Um, and most of my friends who are cops here in Utah, like the great thing about having a concealed carry, if when the cops pull you over and they look up your ID, if a cop pulls me up and it says, you know, Levi Antoine, it shows that I am concealed carry holder right away. Their stress goes down because you're a good guy. The only way you can have concealed carry, they do background checks, federal background checks. Like they don't just say, hey, here's a gun. You can have it, you know. Um, so right away they know I'm a good guy. Uh, I do treat the cops with respect because I do know, I mean, <laughs> what they're doing, they're putting their lives on the line. It's dangerous. You know, I don't want to be a cop. and I don't want to be a cop because I grew up in the hood and you never wanted to be a cop. But, you know, I have friends who are cops and my son gets to spend time with them. And it's it's great. And you know, I don't want my son to grow up with that fear of cops like I did. Like, I was a kid. We had a cop that lived on our street. Me and my brother were kids that we would wake up early Saturday mornings because he didn't work. And we would just blast NWAs at the police as loud as we can. Because we hated. Because it was, hey, they'll take you down to Boston Harbor. And if they take you to Boston Harbor, you were getting beat up. And no, and. This was before cell phones, so it's like you can go and tell anyone. No one would believe you, or they'd be like, well, do you have proof? Like, no. All I have is my word versus his. Then, all right, we'll let it go. Um, but, yeah, I, I always tell, whenever I talk to anyone back in Boston and they come in and say, Levi, I'm thinking about going to BYU what was your experience like and it's like I'm not going to say it was easy like you're a minority people are going to ask you really dumb questions but if you look at it in a positive light you're going to make a lot of good friends now am I saying that there are not racist people on campus or at BYU I'm not going to say that because there's racism everywhere no matter what how you look at it but you're going to find anything bad if you go looking for it. People think, oh, I, but I remember when I, when I came to BYU, I was so happy because I'm like, I'm going to be around all these Mormons and everything's going to be perfect and no one's going to want to drink or do any of the bad things. And it was like, that is not true. You know, you still had those kids who 
who were like that. And it's, you're going to find bad if you look for bad. Uh, luckily, my sons, my son and my daughters have never experienced it. Uh, I think the first time my son realized I was a different color, I think he was five or six. And the only reason he realized I was a different color was because someone, one of his friends probably said, your dad is black. And I remember my son coming home and he's like, dad? I was like, yeah. He's like, are you black? And I just laughed. I'm like, no, son. And I showed him a crayon and I was like, this is black. We're more of brown. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, but he, he didn't realize it. And now my kids, they're like, oh. And it's funny because my son, he, you know, sometimes he passes for Polynesian. And people, I mean, people have come up and asked, oh, what island are you guys from? It's like Manhattan. I, <laughs> I, I'm not from an island. Oh, no, no. What island are your ancestors from? Mm. Haiti? Like my dad's from it. No, like you know, Samoa, and I'm like, I'm not Polynesian. I know I'm a big guy. I have a lot of Polynesian friends. <laughs> I can eat a lot, but I am not Polynesian. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. I, you know, those were my brothers. When I came out to BYU and I met Polynesians for the first time, I was like, okay, this can work. You know, there are others out here who look like me. Yes, our cultures are different, but it was a safety net for me. Um, but yeah, my son, he, he passes for Polynesian. He's a big kid, and everybody's like, oh, you know, what island are you guys from? No island, you know. Uh, my youngest daughter is the darkest of my kids, and people are like, that, that happens? Like, yeah, you know, she's the darkest of our kids. And Gracie, my middle child, she is every person we meet just say, oh, we wish we had her skin tone. Oh, we want to take her skin and wear it. And I'm like, we said to a six-year-old or a seven-year-old, that's kind of scary. But, you know, I, I joke, and Gracie jokes now because her friends will be like, we're going to, when we grow up, we can't wait to go tanning. And Gracie's like, I don't have to tan ever. You know, she goes on to the sun for five minutes, boom. Perfect complexion, and she's good, <laughs> you know. But, you know, we're, as my son, he's 10, you know, he's going to be 11 next year. As he gets older, he starts to pick up on these things, and he's like, you know, like there are times where he's like, Papa, I feel like people stare at me. And I'm like, well, they probably are. And it's because you're so attractive. Like, <laughs> That's the way to say it. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. Mixed kids are cute. Uh, <laughs> no, I think one of my students' wives said it best because uh, they were looking at my family pictures on Facebook. And she's like, his daughters are cute. But she's like, that boy is beautiful. I have never. Mm. <laughs> I just laughed because my son, he's, he's 10 and he doesn't care about girls. And. You know, he, he's like, hey, um, he just wants to play and have fun. But, you know, there are times where he's like, when we're out in public or we go somewhere, he knows people stare. Um, so racism, it is real. It is out there. Uh, but we can't paint it with a broad brush because I have friends that's like, BYU's racist. Like, no, <laughs> BYU is not racist. Like, there may be a few people who are racist at BYU. And because you've experienced it with those individuals, BYU's racist. Honestly, the only time I've ever experienced racism here were the cops freshman year who only wanted my ID. Um, and I got engaged to a girl whose family made her call it off because I was black. 
and the leaders of the church says that races should not mix. You know, my dad, you know, he and the stake president and the bishop, because she went home and they were all there, bishop, stake president, and her dad, and they were like, yeah, we, we've been praying and, you know, following the leader, following the, you know, opinion of the leaders of the church, we don't believe this marriage should happen. And so she called it off. And she was from Wyoming, too. I don't know. I have a thing about girls from Wyoming. <laughs> and so when I started dating my wife, I was worried. But my wife was like, nope, I received my answer. This is what's going to happen. And her family loves me. Um, my mom's family, they're from the South. We're loud. If there's an elephant in the room, we name the elephant. We talk about the elephant until it's solved. Where my wife came from a family where if there's an elephant in the room, everyone ignore the elephant. You don't talk about the elephant. There is no elephant. And that, like, when we first first married, like, there would be things that would upset me. I'm like, wait. And my wife's just like, no, no, no. And I'm like, but families argue. Isn't that okay? And I was like, no. It's not okay for families to, like, if your family, but I'm like, I argue with my mom and dad all the time. My mom would argue with her sisters all the time, but guess what? The next day, they were on the phone laughing because at the end of the day, you're family. And so I love that whenever we, so we had a family reunion this year, and my wife, her family is a large family. They're pioneer stock. You know, it's like her dad has like 10 brothers and sisters, and all of them had 10 kids, and, you know, but I love... One year, we did the family reunion in their hometown and in the areas around her hometown. And everyone knew who my kids were because they were of their stock. And I was like, my kids can come to this town at any time and say, we need help. And someone's going to be like, who are you? And I'm like, oh, we're Mike Smith's son. And I'm like, boom, you're taken care of. And I love it. And my kids are treated just as the same as everyone else. And people say, well, that's because it's family. And and it's like, true, but you also hear stories of people who they're married to a family and there is that hate. Like, I never feel hate from anyone on my wife's side of the family, even though they're, when I tell people, oh, they're cowboys. Oh, they're cow. And it's like, well, no, 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 no. I know what you're thinking. But no, it's not. It's, they are loving people. They are the kindest people in heart, most heart. And if I ever need help, <laughs> if I ever need help, I'm calling them. Because they're cowboys, and guess what? They're they're gonna show up, and all right, let's you messing with one of us, you mess with all of us. So, yeah, it's it's the racism is different, but it is there, and so it's yeah. I I tell people it's there. Some people don't believe me, and that's okay. But it's funny because everyone's gonna experience it sooner or later, and when they do. Just like my wife, it's going to shock them and it's going to upset them. But they can't let it control. They can't let it control them. And that's why I try to tell some of the students that come here, you know, from, you know, my background. It's like, hey, you're going to meet people and you're going to be like, why are they asking me this question? Or why are they doing this? Well, this, how else are they supposed to learn? They're curious. You know, when I first came out here, I, you know, I was a recent convert to the church and there are things I was curious about, like, why are we all meeting in this tunnel at night to sing? That seems kind of <laughs> cultish. Like, I didn't join a cult. And everybody kind of laughed at me. And they were like, no, it's just, it's just a tradition we do. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it once just to say I experienced it. 
But I swear, someone's going to start breaking out candles and, you know, do a blood sacrifice, and then I'm out. <laughs> but, I mean, anyone who didn't understand our culture, if they were to see that, just like me, they'd be like, whoa, this is it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, it's like, what is, why are we? Oh, it's really weird. Yeah, it's like, we're going to go sing in the tunnel. Why? Why are we singing in the tunnel? <laughs> yeah. Like, can in the we middle just, of the night. <laughs> can we just sing anywhere else? Like, let's sing in our dorms. <laughs> like, why are we all meeting together? <laughs> yep. It's weird. So... But, yeah, it's, you know, I've had a lot of experiences, and, you know, sometimes I get upset. But, like I said, I have a great wife who can calm me down. And, to be honest, when I re- get really upset, I go to the gun range. And I send a few hundred rounds down range, and I feel better. But, you know, everyone has to learn sooner or later. And I tell all the black students I work with, you can be a great example and you can be that safe person that they can talk to and learn from or you can be the angry black guy and that's going to be the image they carry them with them for a very long time you know uh i remember when i married when i married my wife like <laughs> she would always joke like oh my cousins only want to hang out with us now because you're black or you know we go visit her cousins in Montana and they'd be like oh Levi's coming in she's like what about me <laughs> you know <laughs> I'm like honey I'm their cool black cousin now but you know it was great because I got to talk to those guys and you know they didn't have any black friends and it was like oh this is our cousin Levi and we can have a conversation with him and we can ask him these questions that we maybe couldn't ask a stranger and so yeah that's and that that's what I love. I love being here at BYU and being able to be that source, but also to be that force of change. People say, I want to change things. Well, if you want to change things, you should probably stay where you can do the most changing. For and, sure. And that was when my wife and I were praying about leaving Provo and, like, please. Like, I had job offers in New York that I'm just like, yep, I killed it on that interview. And I'd always miss it and... I remember praying to Heavenly Father, like, let me go back. Like, I know what the inner city is like. I can be such a big help for the youth in the inner city. And then the answer came back, plans they like, you can be a big help for the youth here who maybe don't know what the inner city is like, who maybe all they know of the black culture is what they see on, see in movies or TV or, you know. And I was like, huh. I guess if you do want to make a change, you have to stay where you're uncomfortable and continue to make that change. So. Yeah. So how do you combat racism? (laughs) I just laugh it off. Do you? Here's the thing. Usually when I run into someone who's really racist, I laugh it off because, and this is going to sound arrogant, my life is better than theirs. They're upset because... I have a great education. I have a beautiful wife and kids. I live in a nice home. I'm educated. And they see that and they hate it. But guess what? There's nothing they can do about it. Um, Most of the people that I met who are racist, some aren't very well educated, not very well spoken, and they are jealous. So I laugh it off. Like, the note on the car, I laugh it off because in my mind, this is some dude who probably can't get a girl. You know, probably just a loner who who's sitting in his apartment sad and he saw us and he got jealous and he got upset. So I laugh it off. 
Um, that's if it's aimed at me. Mm-hmm. If it's aimed at my family, my kids or my wife, I will say that there are times I will fight because my kids are kids. They don't need to experience it. Uh, for instance, my son, he'd just been born. He was maybe six months old, maybe... No, 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 because he was at the park playing. He was a year and a half, maybe two. We were going up to Idaho. And have you ever driven up to Idaho Falls? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know Malad Pass? I think, yeah. Yeah, well, there's a there's Malad there. And, you know, me and my wife, we would always stop there to... That was our halfway point. We'd stop there, mm-hmm. go to the restroom, get snacks. Well, after our son was born, it was like, okay, we will stop there because there's a park down the road that he can play at. And I remember we stopped at the park. She and my son went to go play at the park. And then his pickup truck rolls by, stops, then it goes. And it goes around the block. And right away, I'm just like, okay. Like, I call it my ghetto senses. But, you know, growing up, you could tell when something's about. And I'm like, all right, let me get out the car. Because I don't want anyone to catch me while I'm in a car. So I get out the car, and I'm just kind of sitting on the trunk. I don't want to go over to my wife or kids because I don't, you know, if anything does go down, I want them to be safe. And the truck comes back, and now instead of one dude, there are three dudes riding in the front and, like, four dudes in the back of the truck. And they're like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm just hanging out, you know, just hanging out. Yeah, well, we see your mixed monkey baby over there with that woman. And I was just like, yep, here we go. We're going to go. And when we come back, if you're not gone, we're going to hang you and that monkey baby. And I was just like, and right away my rage flared up. But once again, my mom's saying, don't let your pass shack. So I was like, you know what? If I try to fight these guys right now, there's, you know... (laughs) seven of them and there's just me uh one thing about races they never want to fight by themselves they they need a gathering to come after one person because they're they're pansies they can't take it uh and so i just kind of looked at him and i was like well you can try but it'll be it'll be a tough fight like i will kill every single one of you before you touch my son and they all kind of laughed and drove off and my wife came back and she's like what was that all about and i was like Get my son, put him in the car, we're leaving. Uh, Let's just say that they think he's a monkey baby, and they're going to hang me and him if we're not gone in 10 minutes. So my wife, you know, she's scared because it's her son. And we get in the car, and we drive off. After that is when I decided, you know what, I'm going to start, I'm going to get a concealed carry permit because I don't want to be caught like that again and not have a way to defend my family and so now whenever I travel wherever we go I have my concealed carry I'm ready to defend my family at all costs but I remember the anger I felt because my son he's two he's innocent he hasn't done anything to these men and they already hate him that much and so I laugh because I'm like how sad is that life how sad is your life that you hate a child because of how they look. Like, so when I hear about racism and racist, I'm like, I feel bad for them because it's a sad life that you hate. You have that much hate, and I'm, I'm not going to let that hate control me. Uh, another time, uh, it was during the last election, 
You know, I, I went to my voting poll to go vote, and I go inside, I cast my ballot, I come out, and there's a note on my car, and it says, niggers out, vote Trump. And I, you know, I kind of looked around, because I already knew that the person that wrote it, they saw me pull up. Uh, they probably didn't vote because... Or they were still in line, but they waited till I was inside because they couldn't approach me face to face. Why? Because they're sad, you know. And you know, I was just like, okay, well, you know, this is why I vote the way I do. This is why I vote because right away it upset me because a, it's in my community, so it has to be someone that has either driven past my home, or someone that may be in my stake, or you know, God forbid, my ward. But here is someone who does not like my family in that area. And, you know, I talked to my wife about it. I was like, well, we can, we can move, but I'm not going to do that. Like, my mom grew up in the South doing racism, and her family, she was like, nope, Mac, we never ran. It was like, you show up, we, you know, it's on, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, I'm not going to move. I'm gonna still, like, there were people in my ward who were just like, they were more upset than I was. Because once again, it's that first time, whoa, this is real. And so whenever it hits, whenever it's in someone's face that it's real, they get very, very upset. And so there were people in my ward that reached out to us and they were like, this is ridiculous. We should go try to find it. And, you know, we should. And I remember like it was written on the back of a receipt and my wife, she turned it over and she could tell it was for a big truck because it had. And I was like, why do racists drive big trucks? Because <laughs> it had how much fuel. And she's like, that's a lot. And she grew up on a ranch. She's like, that's a big truck. That's. So that's an old truck to use up that much gas. And, you know, I remember I, I posted about it on Facebook and I remember I called and told my mom and my mom was like, baby, tear up the receipt and just don't think about it. And, you know, I was, I, I just laughed it off. I'm like, you know what? This is a person who is upset about the life I have. So once again, they're sad, they're lonely and they're pathetic. Why am I going to let that person ruin my day or my life? I'm not. I'm going to laugh it off because what people hate more than anything is if they say that word because they want to see it dig at you. And if you just laugh at them, it infuriates them because now they feel like this is the only way I have to fight back. I'm going to call you a nigga. And it's like, cool. And they're just like, it, it upsets them because they want you to react. They want to see that. They want to see it break you down so they know that ah, I can still break you down. I laugh it off. You know, they're losers, they're sad, they're pathetic, and I move on. Uh, I, I want to teach my son that. Uh, but I also want to teach him that there are times where it's like, if you need to defend yourself, you defend yourself. Um, because, yeah, like I said, most racists, most Aryan brotherhoods, anyone that's any, they're cowards. They're not going to mess with you if it's just them. Usually they'll go back and they'll get some help <laughs> because that's that's what they know. But, yeah, I, I laugh it off and I don't think about it. I mean, there are times where, once again, I'll go to the gun range. I'll take out my frustration at the range, you know, hone my craft. But I just, I, I feel bad for them. Like, that's your life. You spend your day hating someone because of how they look like those guys in Malad I mean when it, we still go to Idaho and we'll still stop by Malad you know I've, I've never seen them again 
But I'm like, here, here are seven guys. Well, here was one guy who stopped and saw me and my son and was like, oh, niggas, let me go get my friends. And these guys had nothing better to do with their day than wait. There's a black man and a child at a park. Everyone get in the truck. How sad is that life? Like, are you telling me you don't have a job? You're not spending time with family? It is. You are sitting in a room waiting for your friend to call and say, I found some black people. Let's go get them. Let's go. Like, so whenever I hear it, I just, it, it blows my mind. It's like, okay, this is, so you can't but help but laugh. But you also need to, I'm not going to teach my kids that it's not out there. You know, some people, oh, you shouldn't teach your kids that there's racism. Why? There are racist people that are teaching their kids to hate. I want my son to know that, guess what? There are going to be people that are going to hate you. Why? Because they're sad. They think you took their spot in a university. They think you took their job. They think you took their girl. They think you took over their sports. Whatever the case may be, they need to find a way to blame you. You took their country. You took whatever it is. It's your fault. And it's like, cool. That's why when, you know, our current leader, you know, people were like, oh, well, when he said go back to where you belong, that's not really racist. I'm like, go to any black person you work with and tell them to go back to where they belong. See what happens. You will not have a job and there will be an HR meeting. It's just that hey, you should go back to where you belong. All right, let's go to HR. Let's have that conversation. Oh, well, no, I'm in Boston. I mean, you should go back to Boston. Like, uh, no, you didn't. <laughs> so I, I laugh at those individuals because that's all they have. They need someone to blame for their miserable life. I'm going to blame the person that doesn't look like me. So, so yeah, that I, and, you know, I'm 41. So, yeah, it's taken a lot of years, but, yeah, I, I, I laugh at them. Like, they are, they are sad. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad I've been able to come and, you know, share because it's, it's out there, but... It's important. Yeah, it's very important. It needs to be talked about. People realize it's there. 